everybody, and welcome to this very special edition of Co-Parent Dilemmas. Unlike our normal format, you won't hear Diane and I talking. During this month of exploring the issue of parental alienation, we want the voices of the alienated parents to be heard. So this episode is nothing but that, and we think they are powerful and need no commentary. Diane and I will be back next week to discuss this issue from the perspective of the alienated child. So listen now to Voices, the Alienated Parent. Hi, everybody. Diane and I are very excited about our Right to Peace Foundation and the program to keep court professionals accountable. If you would like to get involved and help us, click on the survey link in the show notes below. Thanks for being here, everybody. Um, sorry that you have an experience that qualifies for being here. Our goal is to hear your story and what's going on and what it's really like. So if you would just go around the room and tell me your name uh, and we'll introduce each other that way. Yeah. Hi, Rick. I'm Jeremy. This is my wife, Beth. We have two older daughters and the youngest is my son. We have one who is the protector who says, no, Jack, you know, when mom starts doing that, I'm pulling you out. I'm getting you out of here. We have the the middle child is peacemaker. She's the ameliorator. It's just, you know, give mom what she wants and everything's going to be fine. And that's so that we have two daughters who have kind of taken two different survival approaches. And my son, he's a bit of both. Yes. Um, Hi, I'm Beth. And as you said, we've been married um, for five years now. And so I am uh, the stepmom of Jeremy's three children. When I came into the picture, the kids were, you know, um, middle school going into high school and then elementary school going into middle school. And I would say quickly uh, soon into our, I guess, dating relationship is when this kind of alienation started. So my name is Mary. Uh, I have three children. I have a daughter who is now 29. I have a son who is 26 right now. And then I have another son who is 19. Um, At the time, 13 years ago, obviously, my daughter was 16. My son was about 13. And my youngest son was six. I have dealt with this for a full 12 years. This is the very first year um, that I completed that. I knew nobody could take me to court because the children have reached an age where you can't take them to court anymore. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kim. Um, I have two kids. My son just turned 13 and my daughter just turned seven. I'm, oh gosh, uh, going on seven years into this. Hi, everyone. I'm Monique and I have four children that are involved in this. My eldest just turned 19. Uh, I have a 17, 16, and 13 old. My name is Stacy. I have two boys. They are 17 and a half now, or almost, yeah, 17. You'll be um, 18 in November. And my other son is um, 15, just turned 15. My name is Lindsay, and I have a soon to be 13 year old and a soon to be 11 year old. And I have been dealing with all this craziness for about six years. I'm Kathy. I have, we have a blended family. So our ages are nine, 
six, five, and four. And I have been divorced for three years, and uh, my husband has been divorced for, well, I think one, because it took forever. My name is Michael. Uh, thank you for having me. I have two children. Uh, my daughter is six and a half. She'd be the first to tell you the and a half is really important. She turned seven uh, about two months. And uh, my son just turned five. So five and six and a half. Okay. Very good. We've asked for you all to share as much as you're comfortable with being here. Share with us the experience of alienation. What is the hardest part that you've had to deal with or are dealing with? Michael? Yeah. Um, the alienation comes as one wave of attacks in a coordinated campaign of attacks against me. There was a domestic violence restraining order filed against me with completely false allegations. And usually these allegations are he said, she said. Uh, unfortunately for her, there were provably false allegations. And uh, it was like the amount and the volume is unbelievable. It's astonishing. You know, like, like why, what did I do to find myself in the situation? Um, so after I was separated from my children, there was two, a period of two months where I had zero contact. I was an everyday present father, getting him ready for school, feeding him breakfast, feeding him dinner, like all these things to all of a sudden having zero contact. The only way I was able to make sure that they were still alive was through the school portal where I, the school would send pictures. It's like manna from the heavens every time I got a new picture. Yes, my son is still alive. Yes, he's smiling. He's doing well. It's like the only life I had. And then during the two months where I didn't have contact, my ex removed me from that. I couldn't even log in. So after that two months, it seems like a very short time compared to other people going through these alienation stories. But to me, it's the longest two months of my life. I lived multiple lifetimes in those two months. Um, as soon as I started getting Zoom calls set up with the kids, it's, Daddy, you're a bad guy. Daddy, you're still a bad guy. Daddy, you yelled at my mommy. Daddy, I, you're crazy. I don't like you. And then we're supposed to have 10 minutes. Um, over time, I was tracking a number of seconds. I got these Zoom calls. They went from eight minutes, nine minutes, engaging with the kids full time to 12 seconds, 14 seconds. Um, I would read books to my kids on Zoom and I bought about $100 worth of hand puppets that I can have these theaters with and, and play times with on Zoom. Within two minutes, they would stick their tongue at me and run away. Um, again, it's this campaign of this abuse. So one of the hardest parts about alienation is A, having the emotional strength and the mental clarity to convince myself that no, this is not right. This is not normal. Right. Cause when you're involved in this stuff, you kind of make excuses. You're like, maybe they are right. Maybe I'm a bad guy. Maybe I did do these things. So first is having the emotional strength and the mental clarity to be very specific as to what happened and what can I do to not inflame the situation. Um, and finally, like just telling the kids that, A, no matter what happens, like I, I forgive them and it's okay. Daddy's going to be okay. I take a cue. I take a lot of lessons learned from the podcast, uh, Rick, that you and you and Diane put on. And just telling the kids, Daddy's going to be okay. It's okay. Like in my own words, like it's okay to hate Daddy when you're with Mommy. 
you know like i don't say it to them in that way because they're really young but just letting them know like it's okay i know you have to survive like and daddy's gonna be okay and once you're with daddy i know your daddy's little boy daddy's little girl it's you know i'm fine and having a, enough of an emotional support system to be able to deal with all this stuff and deal with it personally but then showing the kids what like how strong their father is really you know because i'm trying to show them like look like this is a messed up situation it's okay like it's not their fault um and i'm i'm here with them stacy i think um one way that i kind of use to sum it up um and it sounds really harsh and bad but i basically say that my ex-husband hates me more than he loves our children yeah and He'll do anything um, as far as corrupting their minds, you know, um, just to get back at me. Um, You know, I left him because he was having a two year affair, but he'll always make me pay because I left, you know. And of course, my kids were very little at the time. And of course, I never shared why we got divorced. So the story to everyone was always, your mom left me, your mom was unhappy, you know, and in the beginning, he didn't, he never fought me for custody. Custody wasn't the issue until he decided he didn't want to pay child support anymore. And it was close to Sebastian turning 14. And then he could do something about it. So he manipulated him, took him to a lawyer. I had no idea and had him sign an affidavit that he wanted to live with his dad when his dad had never had full custody. I mean, he saw him every other weekend. Um, The hardest part for me is, you know, you can be rejected by your spouse, but being rejected by your kid is a whole level of um, hurt that not many people understand. And it makes it really hard to be normal and live a normal life. And, you know, I'm a single parent, I have to work to pay my bills. And, you know, it makes it really hard um, to compartmentalize when you're dealing with that kind of level of rejection, because this is that you would give your own life for um, and that you would want to protect in any aspect possible, but you can't. I mean, you your hands are kind of tied, so it's like a helpless feeling, but also hurt. Um, and it's hard to see any light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I think if you ask any of us how we're surviving it, I don't know that we are. We don't have a choice. That's what I tell people. I don't have a choice. You know, it's not... You know, when people say you're so strong or you're so this, it's like, I don't have, I don't have a choice. I don't, you know, this is, this is what I've given. I've been given. I thought this would be a really good opportunity for, for my wife to talk about kind of what she experienced from her point of view with my ex. Yes. So I think that teenage years are hard enough um, without adding in divorce and custody and who, you know, who do I believe my mom or my dad, who, who should I listen to, my mom or my dad? And I think that, um, you know, for me, the alienation is hard because it makes you feel unsafe or unwelcome in your own home. Um, and it's it's something that that I don't have uh, control over. You know, I don't have control over what she's going to say or what she's going to do, but I have control over how I react to it um, and how I think over time, I think as kids get older, 
right? They mature in different ways. And one of the things that I've seen is as kids get older, they see their parents for who they truly are. And I think you can only hide crazy for so long um, before, before the kids start to see, you know, gosh, my mom says that I can't trust Beth or I shouldn't do this because Beth is this way. Well, now they're starting to see me for who I really am. And if I truly am loving and caring and honest and just someone here who wants to be a loving adult to them, you know, they're, they're going to see that in the end. And I just have to work to kind of uh, fix that relationship. It's not that I think the best years we say the best years are ahead. And I think some of that just means maturity as the kids get older, you stop believing every single thing your parents say, and you start to open your eyes and start to see people for who they really are. And they have exposure to other divorced families, their friends, their peers, and they find out that, well, actually, it's not normal for your dad to have to block your mom or send cease and desist letters or uh, and things like that. It, it's not normal for mom to call literally 40 to 50 times a day when she hears no, but she really wants yes. They see the harassing, you know, kind of behavior in in light of, well, I love mom, but we think we kind of know that's crazy. So that's kind of been our experience. Um, I think um, you said something about, you know, kids figuring it out as they get older. And I I do think a, a lot of that, especially with, with my older son, I saw that as he started to become 18, I actually had a counselor one day tell me that um, she thought there was kind of a reset switch in the brain and, uh, and kids turn 18, particularly boys and something just begins to change. And for me, that was certainly my experience that at 18, something definitely changed in him. Either he really found the courage to kind of break free and be like, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like something's really wrong here. Mm-hmm. Or he kind of matured enough to be able mm-hmm. to see things truly, you know, yeah. weigh things a little bit differently. I think he was experiencing a lot of abuse from dad mm-hmm. and kind of found the courage to sort of be like, I, I don't think this is normal. I think I need to step away with it. So I think it was a little bit of a combination of everything, but I really think, um, and I'm hopeful because I have a, a younger son who's really in the throes of this, but um, I think, I think time and maturity, mm-hmm. like it, patience is, is the greatest thing. It is so incredibly hard, but yes. I think if you can really stick there and, you know, stay with them and continue to just give unconditional mm-hmm. love, yeah. like Amen. they need well, and I think it's exa- it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting <laughs> for everybody. Most definitely. It's exhausting living a life in that way. I'm a child of two parents that divorced when I was 12, and it was an awful battle. And I remember becoming 18 and 19 and living at college and kind of being on my own for the first time. And I just was exhausted playing playing both the roles. Do I... I love my parents, but she said something bad about him and he said something bad about her. And I was just so exhausted that I finally just said, you know, I'm just going to take a break. But I, I, that's when I started getting counseling for myself when I was 19 and just because I was emotionally tired. Um, and I said, they can work out their own problems, but I need to work on myself. But 
again, it took time and maturity for sure. And patience. Yeah. Stacy. Yes. A lot of people say, oh, they'll get older. It'll get better. And yes, thank God for married because, you know, Sebastian's almost 18 and he has gotten better and we really have a great relationship right now, but that is what's really hard. Um, Still loving them through the really hard I mean, the things that my kids have said to me and the names and the way that they've treated me. I mean, I've been physically attacked. I've, you know, um, had holes in my walls. I've had tons of things broken around my house. And um, I think that's, that's what's hard because this is someone that you love and you know that it's really not them and they don't want to be coming at you. Um So I think when people keep telling you when you're in the thick of it, oh, when they'll get older, they'll understand. And then there's like a quote from an article about alienation that I go back to. And this is a child that was alienated. And as an adult, he says, you don't get a second chance at childhood and we don't get a second chance as parents. And so there's also like a grieving attached to it because we grieve that we're not at the birthday. It's their birthday and we can't see our kids. We grieve all the little things that that normal parents, married or divorced, if they're in a normal co-parenting relationship, they share, you know, even if it's just the birthday, different times. Um, so it's like, there's a lot of grieving in there that we're missing. We're missing a lot of moments that, we blink and, you know, cause I got divorced when my kids were four and seven. Now they're 15 and almost 18. And there's just so much I've missed through the years, you know, um, Sebastian, he, he was told for many years, he didn't need a mom. You don't need a mom. You know, I mean, and so like just the fact that I can't be that mom to my children that I want to be, that I should be. Michael. Yeah, uh, there's been enough instances where I'm deeply concerned that mother would literally physically harm the children in such a way that would point the courts as as my doing. And I've had to live with the belief that, you know, maybe my daughter will be blinded, you know, like permanently if what I think mommy's going to do actually happens. And there's nothing I could do. Lindsay. So I fear that if I don't follow along with whatever he decides or whatever he does, there is some kind of retaliation. And my biggest thing is I fear sometimes how bad that retaliation truthfully is going to be. Like I, I do. I think he could hurt them. Like, and we've had incidences lately where I've gotten my kids. I'm like, Mary, I can't even remember now how many broken bones I've said, like in group, but I think my kids came. Yeah. They came home with broken bones that he just ignored, just ignored. And then it was like, I can't believe you took her to the doctor. I'm not paying for this. Like it was so like my daughter. Yeah. I picked her up from school and her whole entire hand was bruised and swollen and red. And I, as soon as I looked at it, I was like, that's broken. When did that happen? And it happened like the Sunday before school. Oh, he wrote a note to the teacher saying, Hey, her hand brain, she can't use it. And I'm like, you know it, but you didn't do anything about it. Then like my son has fallen during rock 
climbing, broke his elbow, has broken his shoulder at a different time rock climbing, pick him up, can't move his arm, but he hasn't taken him. And then the latest was a broken ankle that he injured on a Thursday and I picked him up on a Monday and he could barely walk and his ankle was broken. But then I get in trouble for taking him to the doctor and pulling him out of school. And all of a sudden, my, it's my fault that my daughter doing it well in school because I've had to take her to the ER for an anaphylactic react. So it's always, I mean, it's, yes. But so that's where it's kind of like with Michael, where he's like, I'm worried what she's, I'm like, some days I'm like, what? If my daughter didn't ha- had the anaphylactic at his house, he doesn't have her EpiPens. He didn't get the refilled. I'm like, what would he have done? Would he have even taken her to the hospital when half her face swelled up? Like, I don't think he would have because he'd be like, oh, no, we don't need it. No, you don't need to go. I'll pick them up with pink eye. And I'm like, did you like tell your daddy? Did your daddy see your eye? Yeah, he said it was fine. I'm mm. like, your, your eye is shut. Like your eye is completely swollen or then we have strep throat and I'm like hey kids have strep throat you know they need to be 24 hours you get isolation for 24 hours or until fever is gone that's when you're not contagious and then I find out oh they go to art class later that night when he picks them up when they're still contagious and so it's one of those like I just don't know Casey um, like Lindsay was talking about the kids being sick and not taking them to the doctor. And, um, we actually, I was on Rick and Diane's podcast with a question, um, about my stepson being fearful of his mom if he doesn't comply. So to the, to the strep throat and the sickness, we have fought for six months. We don't have a parenting coordinator, anything like that. They're too expensive for what we are able to do. But we fought for six months for TJ to get a um, a referral to an ENT because he's had strep. And she just refuses and refuses and refuses and refuses. And finally, the, his pediatrician, I mean, we just collectively had to take him. She's kept him out of therapy. She told him today that uh, his dad was taking him to therapy to continue brainwashing him. And we, his therapist was actually, you know, I think we can maybe try to go down to once a month and second week of school. And we're getting messages from the teacher and things aren't going well. And so we confront mom. Oh, you're, you're blowing this up out of proportion. You're just trying, you're trying to make him look like a bad kid. So there's a, an alienation and, and he knows that he's the oldest. So he is kind of the protector of his sister. Um, I get the comment, you know, my mom just doesn't like you. And my stepdaughter won't let me do her hair because mom told her that I couldn't. Um, So if I go and have a hair appointment, she won't because she's scared. She's going to get in trouble. The the strep throat, he had four positive tests in two and a half months. She refuses to take him to appointments like doctor's appointments because she doesn't want to pay the co-pays. It's been awful. And the the fear, the alienation that has affected the kids, um, they they know and he, our uh my stepson has expressed that he knows he has to say mean things about dad to make mom happy because if he doesn't, the affection, the love is very conditional in her house. Um to the point that if he has a bad day at school, he just goes to his room 
he'll tell us I went to my room because mom was mad at me. Um, if they go back and say, we had a really great weekend. She is not as affectionate. She's not as loving. She withholds from them because they've enjoyed time with dad. And so they know it's a survival mechanism for them that I'm going to say mean things about my stepmom and my dad, because that's how I'm going to be loved. If I don't, and I tell, tell her that I had fun or that we did something, she's going to be mad at me. Monique. Yes, Mary's comment about the children growing up and having some awareness is is true. And my situation, honestly, I think could have competed with the case from hell because everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. My The sibling group was actually split up. Two stayed with me and two went with dad. And it has been incredibly difficult. I will say that my 19-year-old has gone through a significant amount of therapy. And at some point, he's like, I did not realize how much I was caught up in that. He was very much the golden child. And he does not have a relationship with his father anymore because of the damage that was done. Um, and that's actually very sad for me because yeah. I understand how important that relationship with your father is. And it makes me very sad for him that he doesn't have it. And to Stacy's comment, the grief that goes along with this, I've been completely alienated from my daughter. The last time I talked with her was April 3rd, and it was, I can't wait to see you. I'm so happy that all of this is over. I can't wait to see everyone and catch up and introduce you to my friends. And then their father filed another motion, and I have not talked with her or seen her I haven't seen her in almost 15 months and I haven't talked to her and coming up on five months now and it's radio silence. And there have been a lot of accusations about things that he's been saying since 2016. And I guess he just finally said them to a person who put stock in what he said. He had a parental fitness evaluation and he was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And our guardian ad litem blew it off because he's very bright. Hey, listeners. Many of you have inquired about online co-parent coaching. Diane and I don't have the time ourselves to provide that service, but the organization we both work for does. The Center for Navigating Family Change will be launching its online coaching program under our training and direction this fall. We think our CNFC coaches are going to be swamped with requests, so we want to give our Co-Parent Dilemma listeners first dips. Just go to the link in our show notes to complete the pre-registration form that will push you to the front of the line. There's no obligation, and you'll get information about how it will work so that you can decide. It's time to take advantage of having your own personal Co-Parent coach to help you respond to your difficult Co-Parent. Mary. You know, that that comment about the the sadness of the children not having those relationships, it just uh, for me, I, I feel it all the time. Uh, I'm here. I could tell you horrible things about my ex-husband, all of which are well-deserved. But at the end of the day, I look at my kids and he has not spoken to his daughter since the spring of 2011. He has not 
been with his son or spoken to our older son in almost, I think it's been right at three and a half years now, maybe closer to four. And then the three children, my youngest son is so separated at this time from his older siblings. Like the disconnect right now is almost 100%. It is frightening. But I look at my older children, and this is, I can't pat myself on the back. I can't say, Rick, I was right. I knew it was going to be this way. I, I, I knew he was doing this and this and this. And, you know, there is no joy in that because as Monique said, how incredibly sad yeah. that these children are on this earth and he cannot see past this madness of his to say, I have these children. So like all of those losses of relationships, and of course, the main one is dad. And like, I can't, I can't find any joy in that. I can't find any goodness in that. I, I, I think it's so incredibly sad for him. What a loss, right? I know it's a loss. It's just incredibly sad. And I, I agree with what Monique said. There is no winning. It's just, you know, degrees of losing. Stacey. So I have kind of a question and Mary, I know a little bit of your story, so you could help and, you know, you Monique. So, you know, I don't know if you guys have had this and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate it right now with my kids being separate as they hate each other. I mean, there, and that's another sadness is when you have two siblings that cannot coexist when they're together. And my biggest rationale behind it is I feel like Oliver is really angry at Sebastian because he feels projected. He feels like his older brother who we all lived, the three of us, you know, for six years, seven years after our divorce, all of a sudden decided to go live with dad and kind of disrupt everything. And I think he feels rejected. And so they share a room at my house. And um, I mean, he won't even allow Sebastian in the room when he visits. Um, They fight constantly and they're teen boys and they're big. And, and it's just, that is another level that this isn't even just between like me, it's their relationship. So they, they don't even have each other. So this is how my kids are growing up, learning how to treat people. It's sad. Monique. Uh, just to go back to Stacy's point about the grief, because the disruption and the relationship with my daughter was so abrupt. Like there was no fight that we had that I could pinpoint and be like, oh, we had this huge falling out. And then she cut off communication. It was the conversation was great. And the next day it's, I filed a motion. You don't get to talk to them. And I haven't spoken with her since. And it almost feels like she's deceased, Mm -hmm. but I know that she's still alive. There's been nothing. And for my children, it's been difficult because he's also cut off her communication with them. My eldest is getting ready to go into boot camp within the next couple of weeks. And he's messaged his sister. He's reached out to her. It's been radio silence. And I have my youngest daughter is seven with my husband now. And she looked at me and she said, I feel like I don't even have a sister anymore. And so they're all grieving this tremendous loss. 
and nobody really knows how to talk about it. And I don't know what to tell them because I don't know anything. And there's always this underlying threat of, well, you know, you're lucky that you still have a relationship with your 13 year old because, you know, at any point he could choose not to do anything with you. And that would be his choice because you've done all of these supposedly terrible things. None of these claims have ever been substantiated by anyone, including the police. And I, at this point, I don't even know where to go with it because it's pointless to try and defend myself because he's still going to say whatever he's going to say anyway. And the children are just devastated because they've been ripped apart from each other. Kim, you've been pretty quiet. Did you want to share something? Yeah. On the topic of like siblings, I try and explain it to people. They're the most constant thing in each other's lives. Being in a shared parenting regime, they're always with each other. And I find that the triangulation um, and the undermining of their relationship on the other side to um, to break down my relationship with each one of them respectively ends up taking a massive toll on their relationship. And it just creates more tension in our home on my parenting time and more um it it's very destabilized over there as well like it it makes it a lot easier for him to control the situation and control the narrative because he pits them against each other i also went through um a, a period of no contact with my son that was 7 months and that was a double-edged sword. It gave me the space and autonomy to be able to grow my relationship with my daughter during that time because it wasn't being undermined by my son. But at the same time, it gave them the space to be able to say, your mom only cares about your sister. Your mom doesn't love you. So it really like it furthered the issue there. It took seven months to get my parenting time reinstated. And, and that was really difficult much like Stacy I ended up with holes in my wall a fat lip um windows trying to be smashed out him threatening me with the belt him biting me breaking the skin police were at my house once or twice a week um so many false allegations against me um we've had lawyers appointed to my son which he has fired because they're females We've had my ex-husband asking judges to recuse themselves because they're biased and saying that I'm colluding with the police. We've had him attack my employers, him attack my family, who's like my brother's Canadian military and um, made a false report against him that he assaulted his mother when he was on leave for Christmas. And so... He got pulled in by the RCMP and then he got back to base and he got pulled in by the military police. And it's just uh, a never ending campaign and it's exhausting. Mm. Um, after, so the wrongful denial, it was found to be a wrongful denial, thankfully. That was back in 2020, November of 2020. Uh, my son's been coming for his parenting time since then. And then we had in the spring of 21, we had all the police and ministry incidents and from there it kind of improved he kind of just dropped that and was like okay i gotta go about this more covertly because it's not not working in wow. these overt ways um 
and I thought things were getting better with my son. Um, we just had a section 211 done. So the, um, the report for the court. So I don't know if it's called something different in the States. Um, so yeah, we just got that finished and I had my meeting last week to go over the report. I have the report in front of me right now. I just got it today and reading that and hearing it, it was, I was shell shocked at some of the stuff that was in there, like the stuff that was being relayed by my son. It's just so apparent how much these children have to split their personalities and split um, their beliefs. And like every aspect of their life is split down the center just to survive. And it's, sorry, I'm getting tearful, but um, no, it's, uh, it's hard because you, it shows how much they're suffering and how much they're struggling. And like, we all know how much we're struggling and suffering through this. And it's something that is so unnecessary. I agree. Mary. Oh, I'm just listening to you all. Of course, we all have such similar stories. I think the sibling thing is, is really big for me. Um, Over the summer, I read something about I think the book is called The Sibling Effect, but someone has written a story about just that that this person believes, and and as I'm hearing this part about the book, I just thought it was fascinating, but that siblings will truly be like the, the most unique lifelong partnership. Like you'll lose your parents, you'll lose this, but like no one will ever know you as well as your siblings. And in hopefully, you know, they'll grow old together. I have, I am one of four. Uh, We are all particularly close. It was very important for me to make sure my children loved one another and treated each other well. I actually sort of believe that um, a lot of these alienators know that about us, that we want our children to be loving and to be good to one another. And it seems to be um, a, a subject with which they take intense, um, just uh, a lot of, they just really want to get in there and tear it apart. I'm hearing this from other people. I was sort of thinking I was kind of alone in that, but over the last few years, I have heard it from other people. It seems to be a very um, systematic attack to make sure that these children do not really love each other, stay together. I saw my daughter get very separated and him say, well, you know, she, she only wants to be with your mom when in reality he wasn't including her. Uh, for instance, we'll just go hunting every weekend because she doesn't like to do that. So it'll just be the guys. And then it wasn't for many years that I didn't discover that the older son and the younger son had actually been like really um, led to be very aggressive towards each other mm-hmm. and very, um, you know, fighting and and one of them was placed as a golden child and the other one wasn't, or one of them would be played up against the other. So to the point where fast forward to today, and I've got my daughter and my older son who have definitely mended a lot of their relationship, but they're completely separated from the younger one because he's still over here in dad's world and dad doesn't see them. So of course he feel. I, I think we don't have a lot of contact with him, but I'm thinking there's something surrounding that. If I go spend time with them, if I go be with them, even at 19, 
I'm going to lose a lot of these things I'm getting from my dad. And it's just, it's so destructive. You know, the question of how is alienation hurting the kids is the, the loss of a childhood, the loss of one parent or the other, the loss of these relationships with siblings. In the case of my children, my ex-husband's family has not spoken to my older son or my daughter. I, I'm talking about the loss of a grandmother. It's so incredibly devastating, but it's just so, you know, corrosive to the kids. Um, and no matter, for me, I just, I, I took the stance that I would not speak badly about the father of my children because the one thing I could not change was that he was their father. And right. I just would not do that. And it didn't matter you know, that I took that stance, it's like the kids were still so incredibly hurt by everything, maybe even by the fact that I did take that stance. And sometimes I look back and think maybe I was too silent when I Mm. should have spoken up, but felt like I could not do that. You know, he was their father. And if it ever, the subject ever arose, do you love dad? I said, I love the part of you that lives, you know, in your dad, the part of your dad that lives in you. We can't change that. I just, I can't harbor that kind of hate and be able to raise kids at the same time. So it's just, that's that's very, very damaging. That's, that's, that's just very sad to see, you know, obvious, the very obvious damage to the kids is just incredible. All I ever say is I love you. No, I love you always and forever, no matter what. I love you. And I always include, and I write this in cards, everything. I always say, I love you always and forever, no matter what, because I don't, my love is not conditional. My love is not conditional. If they have a hatred towards me because of something, because of something their dad said, I, I still love them no matter what, always forever. And and I always just make it about me, like my love, because I, I know that that's the difference. Like, you know, my ex-husband's love is conditional. If you choose mommy, then I don't love you. If you, you know, so just as long as they know I love them, no matter what, always and forever. I want to thank you all for your willingness to spend time with, with me tonight and with each other and, and sharing. And I wondered if there might be any final comments. Monique, go ahead. So I think to your point about your last question of what you wanted people to know is there has to be something that happens in family court or with the understanding, because at least in my particular case, it went wrong at multiple levels. The guardian to the psychologist to the judge who had our eldest admit on stand that his father hit him in the head with a closed fist and still sent children to live with his father. And in my particular county, we don't have a family court, so it's either magistrate or superior, and they don't necessarily have experience in family court. I understand there are problems in family courts as well. And I think what I would like for people to know is that it's almost an epidemic. Almost everyone that I've talked to who's been through this experience, it's the same story. I'm listening to everyone's story tonight, and I've either had the same experience or a similar experience, or I know people who have. Um, It's an epidemic for moms and dads. It's not just, I can't say as a mom, oh, it's only moms who have this happen to them. Obviously, Michael has a perfect addition to counter that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's moms and dads. And I would just say overall, what I would like for people to understand is just the epidemic aspect 
of this whole situation. Lindsay. My final thought is to stick in your boundaries. Stick in your boundaries and love them big and love them hard because they ultimately we suffer, but it's our kids. And that's an emotional burden that I never knew that I would have to face. And I live two completely different co-parenting roles. Um, And so I, I don't see that from my co-parent relationship, but I, man, watching my stepkids go through this is all you can do is love them. And, but the boundaries have to be there because they learn, learn from us. And so when we stay true to those and, you know, stand our ground, they learn eventually that they get to do it too. Mary. Oh, I was going to say to stay the course, no matter how hard, no matter how long I have been battling this for a very long time. And I will stay the course until, until I see my three together again. So I would just say, don't lose heart. And, and I really believe in the power of prayer. So you know, I'm praying for you guys, and I I strongly, strongly suggest that you are praying because it will change. It will. Michael? Yeah, final thought is people like Mary, Cassie, all of us are probably the top, like, like in terms of parents who are holding on and strongest parents finding resources to be as present of a parent as possible. We have tried and we have succeeded, thankfully, for every one of us, how many people fail? Not because they're bad parents, but because maybe they don't have the resources. Maybe they don't know. Uh, The bar to be a legally good parent is extremely low. Feed them, clothe them, send them to school, you're good, right? Just don't, don't beat them too hard every now and again. You're good from the courts. Like, it should not be this hard to be in our children's lives. And to be in our children's lives means the world of difference to the children and to the lives that they interact with throughout their entire lifetime. So it's the thing I'll say is for all of us who are fighting the fight, there is no fight more worth fighting than this fight. Mm. So keep keep on fighting Mm. to the people who are in a position to make a difference. You shouldn't have to fight this hard. It's so frustrating. And I get why it's like that, but it's still frustrating. Kim. Um. I think, yeah, getting yourself connected with support is a huge thing. Um, As much as we all struggle with this, our kids are the biggest victims in this. Um, The the difficulties that you face with them, reframe it. They're a a symptom of the situation. So when you look at it like a symptom, you can depersonalize it and you can start focusing on responding to a situation instead of reacting to a situation. And you can only control yourself in this, right? So getting proper support for yourself, make sure that your your family, your friends, everybody are on board with where you're at. It's easy to get led astray in all this. So so yeah, the kids are the goal and, and they're victims in this. So do what you can to support them by taking action for yourself. Stacy. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, exaggerate everything everybody's already said. I agree with all of that. Um, That, yeah, looking at them as children and not, you know, taking it personal and being able to kind of step back. And, uh, and like I said earlier, you know, looking at what do I want them to remember out of this? Do I want them to remember that I, you know, 
always love them. And um, that's just how I always kind of look at it. And I'd like for them, you know, one day if they ever do kind of learn when they get much older to kind of say, wow, I had no idea my mom was going through that because then it would be like, wow, she really endured and she didn't want me to feel that extra burden Um, because we already know what kind of burdens they're carrying and not to inadvertently add to their loyalty bind by playing the other side, you know, they're already feeling it enough. And so it's hard, but just try to just understand that they're coming from a place of confusion and that, um, yes, I wish the courts did more. Um, That would be great. Monique. I think I would just pretty much agree with what everyone else has gone through. And I would say that, you know, you and Diane continue to provide an invaluable resource because it's so easy to feel isolated and feel like, you know, you're a terrible parent and that this is only happening to you. And if nothing else, you have opened up a worldwide community where we understand that we are not in this alone, not even close. Yes. Well, thank you guys. I, I appreciate the vulnerability. I appreciate the openness, willing to, to share your pain uh, so that the world can hear what really is going on and so that each of you can support each other. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey listeners, we finally digitized our first workshop on how to use the communication protocol and we're selling it on our Patreon page. Of course, listeners who signed up as a Patreon VIP prior to releasing it got it for free, among other perks. So that's a great reason to become a VIP so you can have many gifts bestowed upon you. If you missed this workshop last year and want to get all of the information on how to execute it, it's now available at patreon.com slash cpdilemmas. Download it today to start your journey toward co-parent sanity. The information contained in this podcast is generic. It must not be misconstrued as constituting legal or psychological advice. Decisions relevant to any specific individual, family system, or case require the direct evaluation of skilled, child-centered professionals.